Thank you, Rhonda, and thank you, choir, and thank you, congregation, for singing. As weak and weird as my voice is, I just uh, couldn't help but sing. And I know I probably sounded awful over there. Sorry, guys and girls. But, <clears throat> but you know, you don't sing because you can carry a tune. That's right. I love it. You sing because you have a song in your heart. And when you have a song in your heart, it doesn't matter if you can carry a tune in a bucket or not. You just can't help but sing. And, you know, I could think, I said, oh, there go. I need to save my voice for preaching, but I just couldn't help it. I had to sing. Sing along with the choir, singing congregational songs. It's just like, you know, well, Lord, if I, my voice runs out preaching, they'll be happy. <laughs> I love you, church. Thank God for you. So glad to be a part of what God is doing here. And you know, I see us growing spiritually. I see us uh, developing into the people that God wants us to be. But you know, it's a continual process. It never stops. And I hope that you see me growing because I want to grow and develop into more of what God wants me to be as well. And that's what we've been talking about in the last several weeks, a couple of months, is being a people. What does God want for us? Uh, he wants us to be a people that's devoted to him with all of our hearts. He tells us he wants us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We talked about, we spent about five weeks talking about what does that look like, some strategies, some action plans. And I hope you took notes and I hope you're practicing some of those things because what you invest in, where you invest your time and your energy is, is where your heart is connected to. And if today you're here today and you say, I don't really know that I love the Lord with all my heart, then you start investing in his work, investing in what he's all about, invest in his time in his word, invest time talking to him, invest in spending time with his people and, and praising him and uh, talking to him, all that. And you start investing that, you start feeling your heart being connected to him and loving him and feeling his love, understanding that he loves you. And we can only love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And send his son to die for us. And then what we've been talking about in the last several weeks is that God wants us to seek him. You see, with all of our heart is a phrase that you'll see throughout the Bible. But it's usually connected to seven different things. The first one we looked at, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And now we're considering the second thing that we see that phrase connected to. And that is seek the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah chapter 29 is one of those places that we uh, see that phrase about seeking God with all of our heart, verses 12 and 13. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, some people say, Well, I haven't heard from God in a long time. I don't, I don't get what he's saying in the Bible, and I feel distant from God. Well, don't blame God. Are you searching for him with all your heart? He wants to see a person who's fully devoted to understanding who he is and, and what he has to say. And he wants to speak to you. But he's not going to speak to the half-hearted. He's not going to speak to the double-minded. He's not going to speak to somebody that's just flippant. He wants to see a people fully devoted to seeking him. Listen, if you seek him with all your heart, 
you're seeking to hear from Him, He will speak to you. He longs to speak to you. But He doesn't just speak because He wants you to hear from Him. He speaks for a purpose and a reason. The Bible says in Psalm 14, the Lord looks for those who are seeking Him. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong on behalf of the one or the ones whose hearts are loyal or devoted to Him. See, when a heart, when, a, when He sees a person, that person, no, that person is not perfect. Listen, there's none of us in here perfect. There's none of us in here without sin. But there are people in here who are seeking the Lord. There are people in here whose hearts are directed to Him. And when He sees that, He says, I'm going to show myself strong through that person. I'm going to show off through that person. I'm going to do things through that person that they could not do on their own. And that's what God wants to do in a church. When He sees a church full of people that are devoted to Him, He says, I want to show myself strong through that church. I'm going to show off my glory through those people. Don't you want to be that church? That's what I believe God wants us to be. It is time for us to seek the Lord as never before. We need to, as 1 Chronicles 22, 19 tells us, to set our hearts to seek the Lord. So that's our goal. Our first goal, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Our second goal, seek the Lord our God with all of our heart. So we talked about one strategy. That first strategy we talked about was to acknowledge or to believe in God's sovereignty over all things, that He rules over all. There's not an area of this universe that God is not ruling over. You say, well, what about all the evil in the world? Well, we invited that in. We invited that in. You say, no, I didn't invite it in. Yeah, you did. Have you chosen to sin? Have you chosen to do evil? Have you done good all your life? You say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, you may be a pretty good person, but have you done one thing wrong? You see, that's all it takes. That's what invited the presence of sin into the world in the very beginning. When Adam and Eve were there in the Garden of Eden and the serpent, that old uh, devil in the form of a serpent tempted Adam, and, I mean, tempted Eve with the fruit. You say, oh, so it's a woman's fault. Well, no, it's not the woman's fault. Adam was standing right there with her. The scripture says he gave, she gave it to the man who was with her. And so they both took a bite. They both invited sin. And the consequences of sin, God told them, the day you eat of it, what? You invite death into this world. You invite the enemy. Death is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. Evil is our enemy. We've invited that into our world. But yet we blame God for some reason. But God, that doesn't mean that God is not in control. It means that God gave us a human will, a desire, an opportunity to, to exercise our will to follow Him and obey Him. But we chose rebellion against God. That invited all the evil. And see, evil just compounds. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Till we get to Genesis chapter 6 and then we see why God flooded the earth. He said He saw that the thoughts of man was only evil continuously. It had compounded on itself. Then he flooded the earth and he started over. And since Noah, it's compounded even more. Because Noah and his sons were not perfect either. Nor their wives. And so now we come to this point in our history of the world. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, 
so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now you look around this world and you see, does it look like the days of Noah when the thoughts of men are only evil continuously? And there's just a few, a remnant, if you would, made up of many godly people like yourselves, that there are just a few in our nation that, that are standing for truth and righteousness. So you see, evil compounds upon itself. And we get what we get today, but that doesn't mean God's not ruling over all. He still rules, rules <clears throat> over all. And we talked about <clears throat> one of the action plans. Excuse my voice, y'all, please. I know I sound like a teenage boy. I wish I felt like one. I don't want to think like one again, though. No offense, guys. <clears throat> I love you guys. Love you guys. Well, one of our action plans we talked about is if God is overall, then I need to turn my whole life over to Him. I need to surrender to Him. You know, you can't be saved unless you give your whole life to the Lord. You can't just believe Jesus died on the cross, rose again, third day. You know, you can't just believe that and expect to go to heaven because the devil believes the same stuff and he ain't going to be in heaven. The Bible says the devils believe in God. You believe in one God? Good. He said, James chapter 1, look it up. I mean, I think it's chapter 2, verse 19. You believe in one God? Good. The devils also believe and tremble. They know their fate is hell, but they still believe in God. It ain't about believing in God. It's about committing, surrendering your life to the lordship of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Have you done that? You see, if the devil walked down the aisle and joined this, tried to join this church, and if there was a preacher here who didn't know any better, he would say, thank you. Uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Yeah, I do. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross? Yeah, I do. Do you believe Jesus Christ rose again? Yeah, I do. Well, then welcome to the church. But that's not all that's needed. Because the devil believes all that. The last question should be, well, then will you surrender your life to his control over you? And that's where the devil says, no way. And that's where many people, even some may be in here today, depart from the Lord. They want to believe all these nice things and expect to go to heaven when they die, but they live in rebellion against God. And they think, well, just because I believe he exists, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Not unless you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... What that means is, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He says, for with the mouth, confession is made, and with the heart, faith is given. So it's a dual thing. It's not just one or the other. We have to believe, and we have to surrender. So, action plan number one was, turn my whole life over to God. If he's if he's in control and I want to seek him with all of my heart, that's the goal. I need to acknowledge that he's over all things. And I turn my life over to him. The second action plan I want to share with you this morning is, and this is where I'm, I'm talking to believers now, talking to those who have been saved, is go to God first when faced with a desire, a decision, or a dilemma. How many of you in here have desires <clears throat> and some of you just don't like to raise your hand <laughs> everybody in here has desires 
How many of you face decisions? How many of you have ever had any kind of problem or trouble or dilemma? So this is universal, right? All of us have desires. All of us <clears throat> have to make decisions. All of us face dilemmas. What are we going to do? <clears throat> are we going to seek our own <clears throat> understanding? You know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, and we'll probably talk about this much more later, but the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on what? Your own understanding. Don't lean on what you already think you got figured out. Even if you think you've been down that road before. In all your ways. This is Mr. Bob Cummings' favorite verses of Scripture, isn't it, Mr. Bob? In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him about what? That he's in control. He knows what's best. And it says he will direct your paths. Isaiah 30, verse 1 and 2 says this. He's speaking to his people. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me. And who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice. To strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. God was rebuking his people because they were seeking counsel and advice from a foreign pagan country. They were seeking help from them and not from God. But listen, God's people today are no different. No, you don't get on the phone and call Egypt. But you trust in your own wisdom and your own counsel. Even in, in church organizational meetings. How often do we stop and ask God's counsel and ask God's advice? And wait till we receive it before we act? No, we're in too big of a hurry. We're busy, 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 busy. we got to get her done. Check it off the list and move on to the next thing. That is not God's way. The Bible says, he that hasteth, and I'm quoting King Jimmy here, he that hasteth, this is how I learned it, with his feet sinneth. In other words, if you get in too big of a hurry, you're going to mess up. It's just that simple. God's people need to learn to slow down. We need to go to God first when faced with a desire, a decision, or a dilemma. Look at 2 Samuel, if you will. And I'm going to give you, really just kind of tell you the story of what's going on here. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest, this is King David, from all of his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go tell my servant, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. David had a desire. I want to build a temple for God. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? I mean, you say, yeah, preacher, yeah, we need a temple for God. 
Would you say if you lived in that day, isn't it time when God's been living in this tent and David's sitting here in his palace and he's going, I'm in a palace. My Lord's in a tent. Now, not that God can be contained in a tent. Of course he cannot. But that was where his presence abided in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. He's sitting in this palace looking at his worship time with the Lord in a tent. He's going, I need to build God a house. I need to build God a temple. Is that not a good desire? It is a good desire, isn't it? You would think, hey, that makes perfect sense. Let's form a committee. Let's get the funds raised. Let's do it. And that's what the preacher said. Preacher Nathan said, David, sounds good. Go for it. They had a committee of two. They agreed. Unanimous. They moved forward. But God interrupted. said, whoa, boy. Who told you I wanted you to build me a house? Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. I don't need a house. Who am I? What is a temple that I could dwell in? I am God. I don't need a house. And then he said, David, I'm going to build you a house. In other words, I'm going to make your lineage an eternal lineage. From your loins will come one who will reign forever. Who was that one? Jesus Christ. David said, God, I want to build you a house. God said, no, you're not. I'm going to build you one. See, we think about what we can do for God. God says, if you'll just trust me, I'll show you what I'm going to do for you. But we don't wait on him. We get in too big of a hurry. We're too busy. David had a desire. He should have gone to God first. Now, you know the rest of the story. David got the privilege of gathering all the materials together. And who got to build the temple? Solomon, his son. David had some decisions to face. In 1 Chronicles chapter 18, David was, um, I'm sorry, chapter 13. If you look at verse 1, 1 Chronicles 13, David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So he got the committee together. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and if it's of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in the cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us and, and let's bring the ark of God back to us. For we have not inquired at it or prayed at the ark of God since the days of Saul. So all the assembly said, Go for it. Again, here we got a unanimous decision. We got a great idea. From a man of God, let's bring the ark here. Wonderful idea, right? He had a decision to face. He got the committee together. He proposed it to them. Yeah, sounds good. Go for it, David. So they began to make their plans. You know the rest of the story? Let's read it. So verse 5, David gathered all Israel together from Shiloh in Egypt. I'm sorry, Shiloh. Is that Shiloh? I need my glasses. In Egypt, too, as far as the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up from Balak to Kiriath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. They had an orchestra. And when they came to 
tried in his threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died before the Lord. And verse 11 says, David became angry. He got ticked off at God because it didn't go smoothly. Hey, we, have a great, we had a great idea, the Lord. We wanted to build you a temple. Now, now we want to bring the ark there. Of course, the temple's not built at this time, but a great idea. Everybody agreed. It was a good thing. And now all of a sudden you're killing people for touching the ark? How many of y'all know what's wrong in this story? What did they do wrong? Do you know? Well, they didn't ask God, but what did they do? They didn't follow directions of how to carry the ark. God had already given them specific directions in the law, the Old Testament law, of how to carry the ark. Was it to put it on an ox cart? Doesn't that make sense, though? Come on now. Y'all work with me. Use your common sense. An ox cart. We got oxen. We got a cart. Let's let them carry it. Oxen are much stronger than people. It just makes logical sense. Put it on an ox cart. We'll get there a lot faster. But what was God's way? There were rings in each of the four corners of the ark. And actually, there were poles in those rings. Those poles were never to be removed from those rings. Why were those poles and rings there? The priest had to bear the ark on their shoulders. Now, that doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? Why, if you got oxen in a cart, would you carry the ark with four men? Because God said so. God's logic defies ours. When you have a decision to face... Don't trust in your own logic and your own understanding, even if everybody agrees with you. You could be, it could cost you your life. That's how serious it is. God was teaching Israel with the death of this man. I want you to understand how serious I am about you listening and following my instructions. He's still just as serious. Has God changed? Has God changed? The Bible says God does not change. David faced a dilemma in 2 Samuel chapter 5. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, you see, they were still at war with the Philistines. David had already killed Goliath. You thought, and we thought, I remember as a child thinking that was the death nail. That crushed the Philistines once and for all, but it didn't. David still was plagued with this dilemma of the Philistines. In chapter 5 of verse 17, it says, So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, which, by the way, they finally went back to the law and discovered the right way to carry it and did it right the next time. But it cost, the price was high for disobedience. And so it says, David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and David had finished offering burnt offerings. I'm in chapter 6, not chapter 5. Go to chapter 5 and chapter, verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Then the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Duh, they're your enemies. Why would you even ask that question? David already, they'd already been fighting the Philistines. David had already cut off Goliath's head. They were sworn enemies. It was a no-brainer. Why would David stop and ask, should I do this? 
You see, sometimes we get so accustomed to doing the same things over and over, we think it's the right thing to do every time. Why do we do what we do? Because we've always done it that way. <laughs> what if God said, whoop, not today, not this year. Some of y'all would have a hissy fit. Be mad at the preacher, former committee. Something's got to be done with this. We, we've always done it this way before. Then David said, will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines in your head. So, hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there and said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Baal-perazim. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord and said, and so David's asking the Lord again, what do I do? Now, the first time he asked the Lord, and the Lord said, yes, go up against the Philistines, do it. So now the Philistines are, and he defeated them. Now the Philistines are coming again against him. Would, why would you bother to ask the Lord again? The first time he said yes, but why would we bother to ask again? Sometimes we don't in Christian life. Well, then, well, this is the way the Lord did it the last time, so probably he's going to do it that way again this time. Again, back to the, why do we do what we do? Because we've always done it that way. But here come the Philistines again. David asked again. He said, Lord, shall I go up against them? And the Lord said, you shall not go up. In other words, don't face them. Rather, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees... You shall advance quickly, for the, then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So you see, folks, our action plan, if we're going to seek the Lord of all of our heart, is we've got to go to God first and wait, get his answer, wait on that answer, and obey that answer. Not just rely on our own understanding, what we've always done, what we fall back on, our own experience, our own wisdom, our own logic. It don't work when it comes to God's stuff. It really doesn't work when it comes to your stuff. Don't just do it. think about this in the context of the church. Think about it in the context of your personal decisions, desires, dilemmas. Are you taking the time personally to seek the Lord in your daily decisions? Are you facing a decision today? You're looking for an answer. Have you been seeking the Lord? Have you been searching this book for principles to follow? Have you, are you facing some dilemma, some problem in your life that you are just grasping at straws? Have you been bringing it to the Lord? Are you searching the book, the Bible, for His wisdom? Do you have some desire that you think, you know, obviously this is a good thing that God would want me to do. I want to do it. it. And it's for the Lord. Have you gotten his permission? Is it at his direction? Are you sure that he wants to use you to do it? Maybe somebody else. That's why we have to stop and, and go to God. Not our friends first. 
not our own experience, not our best guess, not experts, not the preacher, God. God. Only God, if he's sovereign over all, if he knows all, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he knows everything in between, why would we not consult him on every single matter of our lives? It's foolish not to seek him. It's dangerous not to seek him. He has more wisdom than you could possibly imagine. And he's just waiting to impart it to you and show you things that you do not know and use you in ways you could not possibly imagine. See, Israel saw God do some great things, but he could have done even greater had they been more faithful. We've seen God do some great things, but God's not done. What's God going to do in the next 10 years? In the, we're facing a new decade. We've been talking about the 2020 vision. What's God going to do in the next decade? Only what we trust Him for. Only what we seek Him for. What can we do? Oh, we can do some things. But I don't want just what we can do. I want what God can do. And it's going to take us adjusting our lives, loving Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, seeking Him with all of our heart. God will do things mighty through a people like that. Would you pray with me that you would be that type of person? Would you pray with me that this church would be that kind of church? That as we're growing spiritually, that God would help us to be that kind of church. Why? Not so we can pat ourselves on the back. First of all, it's for the glory of God. It's for the lost to be saved. God wants to demonstrate that there are things that only He can do, and that gets the attention of a watching world. And they see how God answers our problems and our prayers and our dilemmas and gives us wisdom in our decisions. And they want to have understand, how is that happening? How are you able to do that? And it attracts them to Him. It's for His glory, it's for the salvation of the lost, and it's for the building up and encouragement of his people, you and me. Would you pray that with me this morning? Would you pray, God, make me, help me to be a person that loves you and seeks you with all of my heart. Would you pray that right now?